Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So today I want to talk to you about prayer. And we've been studying about prayer in our Wednesday night service, or Wednesday night Bible study, rather. And so I just got inspired looking at all these prayer verses. I thought, I'm going to teach on, on prayer today. It's been, it's been really good. And uh, this week at work, see, I've been having some trouble at work with my internet service. Anybody ever have trouble with your internet service? See, I'm trying to relate, make sure I make a connection here. Everybody knows what it's like when you don't have internet, when you don't have signal. Well, let me tell you what I did. I work in a cabinet shop. It's a dusty environment, as many of you know. And I went to clean off my keyboard, and I just wiped it down like that. When I did, I came across, and I put it on airplane mode. I didn't know it. So I'm literally waiting all day for the Internet to come back on, and I didn't know it was my fault. But see, my Internet's been sketchy anyway. So I'm, I'm just I'm thinking, man, there's no Internet. Just it'll come on eventually. So I see my neighbor, there's another building across the street, and I see the neighbor going out to get her mail. So I stick my head out the door and I say, hey, do you have internet? She's like, oh yeah, we have internet. I'm like, well, how is it that I don't have internet? So I, f- I look and I finally realize, you know, airplane mode, all right? But see, here's the thing. I had internet the whole time, right? But I thought my internet service was depending on some powers out there beyond my control. So I didn't enjoy my internet. (laughs) But when I realized it was up to me to press one button and turn off airplane mode, that's all I had to do. Now I could enjoy my internet. It's kind of like, you know, I think that's how prayer works for us. God has done all these things for us. He's made all this available for us, all this provision for us. And he's saying, here it is, receive it. And when we wait and think there's some kind of mystical power out there beyond us that's determining what I get to experience in my life, we never do the the one thing that matters to connect to God and receive his blessing, prayer. Prayer is so essential. I think sometimes it's like a board game. You know, you ever play, my family used to play like um, uh, a card game. It was kind of like, it was kind of like spades, but not really, you know, and you'd have your, your partners and you'd, You'd play, and you ever play a game like that, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking it's somebody else's turn, but it's your turn, <laughs> and you're waiting on everybody else, and they're like looking at you, and finally you're like, "Well, whose turn is it?" And they're like, "It's your turn." Sometimes I feel like maybe that's what God's like with prayer. He's like, "I've done this. It's your turn. Take a move. I'm ready. I'm ready to move with you. Take a move. It's your turn." And so I want to talk to you about prayer. One of the things that I found was so interesting. I'd, I'd thought about this. And I kind of tried to word this in a very, very smart sounding way. So put my first slide up. God has, stru- what did I say? God has so arranged the cosmos. Do you like that word cosmos? I really thought hard to find that word. I was trying to, I was trying to think of A.W. Tozer or somebody like that, but I totally made it up myself. God has so arranged the cosmos that humans, though fallen, may at any time call upon him in prayer. You know, if that wasn't true, then the sinner's prayer would be an impossibility, wouldn't it? See, God somehow in the middle of all this has always preserved the right for each individual to call out on him for help, for rescue, for salvation. God hardwired it in that even the fall could not mess that up. Throughout history, believers, both saved and unsaved, you notice I say believers, 
because you won't call on him if you don't believe. So I'm speaking of believer in a very limited, a very specific way. They believe that there's God out there somewhere. That's what I mean when I say believer. Believers, both saved and unsaved, have called on to God and been answered. Look at this man in the book of Acts. His name is Cornelius. You know him well. Acts chapter 10, verse 2. He was a follower of God, but at this point, he wasn't a Christian. Look how the Bible describes him. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to them, To him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. You can see that it wasn't just his words, was it? He was praying with his life. It was his respect for God. It was his generous heart of giving. And then he and his household, what? They become the first non-Jewish people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's from that Psalm that Rinkim read this morning. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. He's looking for people, saved and unsaved, who have a heart that will call out to him so he can meet them and rescue them. The Bible gives several reasons why prayers go unanswered. There's several reasons for unanswered prayer. One of them is lack of faith. James, uh, James 1, 6 and 7 talks about when he asks, he must ask in faith. Hey, Bruce, are you going to, do you mind catching that slide? I worked, I, again, I worked really hard on this one. <laughs> and I think that they should go up there. I worked on the transitions and everything. Yeah, look, reasons for unanswered prayer. One, lack of faith, James 1, 6 and 7. Number two, regarding evil in your heart, Psalm 66 uh, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. That's what David said, the psalmist. Uh, another one is asking with wrong motives, as James said, to consume it to your own lusts. And another one is rejecting the Lord's counsel. If you read the first chapter of Proverbs, he says, I've called out to you and you rejected me. Therefore, I will laugh in the day of your calamity. So there's different things that we can do that connect our hearts to God. And I'm not talking about just Christians here. Please understand what I mean. People can call on the Lord. God wants people to call on him. Now, I'm not talking about universalism or anything like that. The reason you call on him is to become saved, to become a Christian. But if you can't call on the name of the Lord, how can you become saved? right? Pretty simple. So there, even in the Old Testament where people didn't know him, even people who were outside of the covenant, like Cornelius, could pray and call on God. And God would hear that depending on their heart. They would pray with their actions, their life, their heart. There are things that determine whether or not a prayer is even heard. You remember the two people that Jesus talked about who went up to the temple to pray? One was a Pharisee, the other one was a tax collector, right? So interesting, there were actually two different kinds of prayers here, okay? The one man went up there and he prayed this really religious prayer. It sounded something like, this is my interpretation. Dear Lord, thank you that I am not like other people. 
Thank you that I am not greedy. Thank you that I am not dishonest. Thank you that I don't commit adultery. Thank you that I am not like this tax collector. Thank you that I fast twice a week. And thank you that I'm a tither. Amen. That was his prayer. The other one, he stood out at a distance and he bowed his head. He wouldn't even look up. He beat his chest. He said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. One of those prayers was heard. One came with the right attitude, with the right humility. See, there's more than one way to pray. We need to make sure we pray in such a way that we are connecting with the heart of God and not just trying to push our own agenda through, right? There's more than one way to pray. But see, for the Christian, here's the good news. For the Christian, Jesus gives us great promises that God will hear our prayers when we call. Because we can pray, what? In the name of Jesus, Look at John, 1 John, rather, 5, 14, and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That's a big promise, isn't it? We know that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have it. I like it. That's big. We have the right to pray, like I said, in the name of Jesus. Look at John 14, starting at verse 13. Whenever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is Jesus talking. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But see, this is not just a legal standing, okay? Not just a you know, legal, remember I, I preached uh, several, probably a month or so ago about the legal and the living, right? The legal is the, your position in him, but the living is your connection with him, right? You're, you're the spirit of God with you. So you have a legal right to use his name, but what makes that work is the living connection that you have with him. You see that in John 15, starting at verse five, remember? I am the vine, you are the branches, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But listen to this, verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When you ask big things of God and he answers your prayer, God gets glory. But what does it say here? It spells out, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you are connected to me and my life is flowing through you and your life is hidden in me, ask whatever you wish. Why? Because when you're living like that, whatever you wish is gonna be his will. And it brings God glory when we can have answered prayer like that. Passages like this show you that prayer is more than just reciting words. If you're living your life right, you not only pray with your words, but you pray with your life. You pray with your, see, that makes it official. You pray with your words and you pray with your life. Look at Hebrews 5, 7. You remember Jesus? It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because he said the right words. 
and he was heard because he knew the right pattern of prayer. The formula, he knew the formula. He was heard because he was the son of God. He was heard because he confessed it a hundred times a day for three and a half years. Why was he heard? Because of his reverence, it says. That's the ESV. If you look at the NIV, it says because of his reverent submission. The New American Standard says he was heard because of his devout behavior. He was connected to God, was he not? His whole life, he said, I've come not to do my own will, but his will. His whole life was a life connected to God. He was God in the flesh. Of course, his prayers are going to be heard. But the reason the author of Hebrews gives us is because of his life, his devout, his devout behavior, his reverence. Isn't that beautiful? I think you can see that effective prayer involves not only just your words, but your life, your motives, your thoughts, and even your intentions. Remember Hannah's prayer in the book of Samuel? This is a little long, but listen to what she says. Listen to what happens here. Uh, Hannah could not have children, so they're at the temple. They're praying. She was deeply distressed, starting at verse 10, and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and forget and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her mouth. He's watching her mouth. Why? Because the next verse says, Hannah was speaking in her heart only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken, drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She couldn't even articulate the words. She couldn't even get her voice out. But her whole being was crying out to God in her prayer. She was praying with all she had. She was praying with her life. James 5.16, you know it well. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in this working. The King James is the prayer of a righteous man, availeth much, accomplishes much, great power. What's a righteous person? A person who does the right thing. It's pretty simple. So many things are available to us. I really believe this, but we've not taken the time to bring them out through prayer. What could we have more of or have that we don't have now if we would spend time praying about it? See, the invitation for us to pray is actually an invitation to participate in what God is doing. I read that again. Our invitation from God to pray is that God's inviting us to participate in what he's doing on the earth. So it's not just our own agenda we come to the Lord for when we pray. It is to accomplish his will and his plan. Now, what I want to do is just take a few minutes here and look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. I know you've heard a lot of good sermons on the Lord's Prayer, but you got to listen to mine, okay? got to give me a chance. I know there's a lot of people who teach it and I've heard several ones and I like them. They're all good. I'm not saying mine's better, but just listen to mine too, okay? Maybe, maybe it'll be some, something insightful. But G Jesus gave us these instructions how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Now, there's a parallel passage in Luke 11 
And in Luke 11, Jesus had been praying already. And one of the disciples said to him when he was done, Lord, teach us how to pray. What I think is really interesting there in Luke, the Luke passage is Jesus's reaction. He didn't say what we would say. We say, oh, prayer is just talking to God. Just use your own words and talk to God. Jesus didn't say that. Instead, he goes on to instruct them and he gives us what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. It probably isn't the Lord's Prayer because it wasn't the prayer he prayed. It was the prayer he gave the disciples to pray. So we could say it was the pattern prayer or the disciples' prayer. But either way, no matter how you look at it, he actually took the time to teach them something. Now, I've heard all kinds of um, different different ways that, um, that the Lord's Prayer has been described. I've heard it described as, you know, a, a pattern in the sense that, okay, he started with praise and adoration and worshiping God, and then he presented his needs. So every time we pray, we need to, you know, start off with praise and worship and then present our needs. I've heard it taught like that, and that's not bad. Um, there's another way I've heard it taught was uh, like a, a template, you know. I've, I'm trying to get the website for the church updated, and so I'm learning how to use Wix, the template thing, right? And what do you do? You find a template that you like, and then you just erase all the other words and put your words in there, and bada-bing, you hit publish, and you have a professional-looking website. So a lot of people think it like this is a template prayer. You just take Jesus' words out, you scrub them out, you put in your own, you hit publish, and boom, you have a professional-sounding prayer. Nice. But it's not really a template like that. I really believe that through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was actually instructing us that through the things he said in the, the model prayer, he was teaching us something about his character and his nature that we do well to keep in mind when we approach him in prayer. And that's what I want to share with you today. But first he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, how not to pray. How many of you know it's good to know how not to do something too? right? There's probably, you know, the cool thing is he only gives us two ways not to pray, right? So probably every other way is okay. But here's one of the ways not to pray. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the play actors, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. See, the Jews would go out and they would pray like the temple the temple um, offerings were offered at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. And at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon and again at noon, because they added the third one, they would go out and they would turn to the temple and they would raise their hands and look up to heaven and they would say some kind of loud prayer. And the most religious among them would somehow arrange to be out in the very crowded public place at three o'clock or noon or, or uh, nine o'clock so that they could give their performance. Play actors. They had the right words. They had the right prayer. And Jesus said, don't do it like that. What did he say? When you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. But you got to understand, this was a new idea to the Jews. Because ever since Solomon dedicated the temple, they all prayed toward the temple. That's what got Daniel in trouble. Do you remember? He opened his window toward the temple and prayed, and then he got him thrown in the lion's den. But Jesus is now saying, you don't have to stand here in the street corner and pray to the temple. You can go into your inner room and do business with your father. That's a profound thought. You, by yourself, 
can go alone by yourself, close the door and do business with God. Pray to the Father and he will hear you. And he will not only hear you, he will reward you. Isn't that wild? So there's, no, there's no reason to go into your room and pray if you don't believe that God really hears you, is there? What you should do is go into your room, tell everybody you're praying, and then take your phone or your tablet in there and watch YouTube videos. <laughs> That's the only way you'd get a reward if God wasn't real. No, but if God's real, you go into your inner room and you do business with him and you don't worry about the outside. You don't worry if anybody knows you're there or not. So that's what he said. So how not to pray? Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't do it as a show. When you pray, go into your inner room. And then verse seven, he gives us another one. He says, when you pray, do not heat up, em heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So it's not how many words you can rattle off that makes your prayer heard. The NIV says it like this. That one was the ESV. They will be heard for their many words. The NIV says, do not keep on babbling like pagans. <laughs> the King James says, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. New American Standard, do not use thoughtless repetition. Thoughtless repetition. See, it's, your not it's not your ability to amass words. Hannah couldn't even articulate words, could she? But remember, when you pray, you pray with your words and you pray with your life. The pagans are out there saying words and incantations, trying to get whatever God or deity they happen to be worshiping to align to whatever their program is. But no, Jesus says when you pray, it's not just about words. It starts in your heart. The prayer starts with your life. Do not be like them, verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus said this, pray then like this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In other words, this is how you should pray. This is not necessarily what you should pray. See, you don't want to make this model prayer a vain repetition either, right? This is a good thing. This has been made a liturgical prayer. We taught it to Abigail can recite it. Can Benjamin recite it yet? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, we want, this is a good one to memorize and learn, no doubt. But we don't want to just, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed. You know, you, you can make, it's not a magic formula. It's not something that you, you um, just by repeating it over and over, something happens. It's when, this is a pattern that you can use to actually pray from your heart. And so we don't want to make it a vain repetition and act like the, like the pagans do. So, like I said, what I believe that Jesus was presenting here was actual instruction on how to pray. So that each part contains a truth that's life-changing that not only should affect how we pray, but how we live our life. So the first, the first thing he says when he starts the prayer, you know the phrase well, our Father in heaven. And you know, at this point, Jesus could have said absolutely anything. He could have said, good creator in heaven, or God, our lawgiver and judge. He could have said, our great helper in heaven. He could have said, the Lord of heaven's hosts. He could have said a lot of different things, but what does he say? Ruler of heaven and earth. No, our father in heaven. So the first thing we see about the prayer that Jesus did, it's relational. You're not coming to some dignitary that you don't know to request assistance. You're coming to your father. You're coming to your father who loves you, who cares for you, who has a relationship with you. He's not a stranger to you. He should not be a stranger. 
He's our father. It portrays a relationship. And he says that he actually knows everything we need before we even ask him. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. May your name be respected. Now the prophet Ezekiel, you know, when Israel was exiled to Babylon, the prophet Ezekiel, he actually was exiled along with them. And so he wrote as a prophet, giving Israel instruction and encouragement that God was going to act in the future and restore them. And he was one of the prophets who were exiled. And he said this in Ezekiel 36, verse 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you have come. And that verse right there is in essence the New Testament because we didn't deserve it. He didn't come and rescue us because we were so good or we kept the law or that even the Jews were keeping the law. No, he came because he's gonna show himself strong in a people who were not called, right? I was found by a people who did not look for me, it says in the book of Romans. This is the essential, essentially the new covenant. I'm about to act, but for the, not because of you guys, but for the sake of my name. So we're in, anticipating in this verse, the intervention of God on behalf of his people for his namesake. We're living in a time where God's name is no longer honored in our culture, less and less and less. In fact, it's not only not, no longer honored, it's actually attacked and marginalized and maligned. For God's name to be honored on the earth, he'll have to show himself strong among his people. Hallowed be your name. Do you know what we're asking for? Hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. It goes right along with the next verse. Your kingdom come. God's kingdom is expressed in the New Testament as both a present reality that came with Jesus and you know, a future anticipation of his return. But we are a part in our prayer of bringing God's kingdom into the earth. May your kingdom come. Kingdom life begins for us when we are rescued from the kingdom of Satan and transferred into the kingdom of God, right? Remember uh, Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. But there is a future that we as Christians, along with all creation, are groaning within ourselves saying, our Lord come. What is that? That's the future arrival of Jesus when he comes and brings sets the world right. That's when the kingdom is, you know, consummated in that way. But right now we have a taste of it now and the kingdom goes where you go. You bring it with you. You carry it with you. It's manifested among us. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Two things jump out about this one. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In God's kingdom, First, number one, God's will is always done. Number one, God's will is always done in the kingdom. Number two, on this planet, on earth, God's will is not always done. That's why when you see things messed up, you just can't say, well, it must be the will of God. 
God works everything out for, for the good. It's not exactly what it says. There are things that happen that God is not pleased with. And our prayers are a part of bringing the kingdom into this earth to change things. Our prayers have something to do with whether or not God's will will be accomplished among us in our cities and in our families and in our government and in our nation. Our prayers make a difference. Do you think that all of that time that Jesus spent in the wilderness had anything to do with his ability to carry out his mission? That's an interesting question because you say, what if Jesus wouldn't have prayed? Would he not have been able to do it? You know, you're, I don't know if your like, mind's like mine, you flip it around, you look at it like that too. But then you go, but, but he's Jesus, he couldn't have failed. But if he wouldn't have prayed, could he have failed? And you could go around in circles. I'm sorry, welcome to my world. <laughs> but the truth is this, he did accomplish his mission. He did not fail. And one of the things that he did to accomplish it was he spent hours in prayer, in communion with the Father. He was connected to the Father through prayer. And that's what helped him accomplish what he needed to accomplish. So whenever we see somebody oppressed or sick or hungry or whatever, that's not God's will. And it's our job to use our prayers, the gospel message, even our resources and our giving to help bring God's will upon the earth, to help rescue people from the domain of Satan. There are people right here, not here, I hope, <laughs> right here in this town, I'm not trying to curse you, <laughs> But there are people that we come in contact with every day who are not in God's kingdom. They are in Satan's kingdom. God's will is not always done in Satan's kingdom. They're living for the devil. They're making decisions for the devil. They're using the freedom of their will to choose evil. But in God's kingdom, God's will is done. And we have something to do about bringing that into being. The other thing I think about, it says, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You remember John, 1 John 5, 14? This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We're not praying to bring about our own wills, but his. Because it's his will that he wants to bring to pass. And when we're aligned with his will, he hears our prayers. So you remember when Jesus was praying in the garden in Luke 22? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. He came to do the Father's will. And to grow up into Christ is to lay aside our will and take his. That's what growing up looks like. You know, even a kid growing up, you know, our kids are that age where they have to learn how to say, you can't have that right now. Not you. I know you want it, but not right now. We're, we, if we're good parents, and I hope we are, <laughs> time will tell. <laughs> we'll know in a few years. We, we want them to learn how to put their will aside to do the right thing, right? And so Jesus even, he had a will that he was bringing into a line with the Father's will to save the world. And he did it. And we need to sometimes lay our will aside, take on his will, pray according to his will. And then he hears us and then he answers us and then we bring the Father glory. Isn't that awesome? And it matters. It makes a difference. It makes a difference on this planet. We're his ambassadors. We're not here to promote our own ideas 
We're not here to promote our own sense of justice. A lot of people telling us what justice is right now. We're not here to promote our own social or cultural preferences. We're not here to promote our own ideas of what's right and wrong. In fact, we're actually very limited as to what we can say in his name. Think about that. We can only say what he says. We can't say our own things. I mean, even Paul was real careful. Remember in 1 Corinthians, I think, when he was talking about marriage and he says, well, I say this, not the Lord, but he was very careful to say that. I don't even know how it got in the Bible. <laughs> when he said, I say this, not the Lord. But we're very limited as to what we can say. We're not free just to say anything we want. What we need to do is hook our will up to his and let his life flow through us. Now we'll have the confidence that as we speak, it will be his will because our heart is right. But we're not free just to go say anything we want because when we do, we're not speaking in his name. We're not representing him. We're not praying according to his will. And our prayers go unanswered and then we blame God. So I think Jesus was teaching us a lot in this prayer. We are to, we are to participate in the advance of the kingdom by living and speaking and praying in his name. Now, I'm going to get a little bit technical for just a minute. And I, and I, I wish I really could speak the Greek language. If you guys, this, I, when Dream Kim's learning a new language, I'm like, but I want to learn Greek so bad because she's so good at, good at learning languages. I'm like, why don't you learn Greek and Hebrew? But, um, but in, in the Greek language, there are different tenses that, than English and they also position the words different places in the sentence to give it emphasis. And so the three words that we've covered so far, hallowed, as in hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These are all imperatives. They're like a, a, an instruction or a command. And, um, and the way the words are placed in the sentence, they all appear first. So there's emphasis on it. And so it says this, this is a commentary, this is not my own idea. It says the placement, the tense, and the mood all speak of urgency and emphasis. Your kingdom come, your name be honored. Your name must be honored. Your kingdom must come. Your will must be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see the urgency of this prayer to bring God's kingdom into the earth? It must come. It has to come. There's no other choice. We need your name to be honored among men. We need your kingdom to come and manifest itself. We need your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's an urgency in this part of the prayer on these three words. And our lives should reflect this same urgency. Not just our words, our lives. We should be living lives in such a way that says God's name must be honored in my life. His kingdom must be present in my life and in my family. His will must be done in my life. Because you pray with what? You pray with your words and you pray with your life. Next verse. Give us this day our daily bread. Whenever God would give the children of Israel the manna in the wilderness, remember that? They couldn't keep it overnight. What happened when they kept it overnight? Next day, filled with maggots and smelly. They were told not to keep it. Why? He wanted to provide for them day by day by day. Interesting to me that he says, give us today our daily bread. You know, um, bread here obviously could mean um, more than just your, your food, but obviously it means food. Of course, in, if we were writing this for Rinkim, we would say, give us today your daily rice. 
because that's what their, their word boo is rice, and that's what they use for food. That's right, it means rice, and it means food. Just like here to the, to the Greeks, bread would mean more than just bread. It would also mean food. So he wants to provide for our sustenance, our food. Isn't he the one who put things in nature to take care of the birds? Jesus said, it's your heavenly father who's taking care of the birds. If he'll take care of the birds, he'll take care of you. But he says, I want to provide for you daily. I want to meet your needs daily. The manna that he gave them was new every morning. What else in the Bible is new every morning? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Great is your faithfulness. Every day he's got new provision, new mercies, fresh word, renewal of the spirit for you. It's an ongoing, continuous relationship. Isn't that beautiful? All in the Lord's Prayer. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Debt here means our sins, our shortcomings, our trespasses, our rebellion. And as we also, see, I think this is a, a, a lifestyle of forgiving those who offend us. This is another example of praying with my words and praying with my life right? Because the way I forgive others is the way I receive forgiveness from the Father. Because, you know, imagine the same cup that I use to give forgiveness is the same cup I use to receive forgiveness. Do you get it? So if it's just like, boy, that's just too big for my cup. I'm sorry, I can't forgive you. Now, how can I receive? I need a bigger cup. I need to be able to flow more in forgiving. And when I'm flowing in forgiving, I'm praying with my life because as I forgive you, I'm receiving forgiveness from God. My prayer is not just my words. My prayer is my life. You pray with your words and you pray with your life. And then verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations say deliver us from the evil one. Others say from evil. There's kind of a debate on whether we're talking about the devil or just from evil in general, but uh, either, one, either one works for me. Deliver us from evil. Do you remember what Jesus did when he was praying in the garden? He came to his disciples in Matthew 26, uh, verse 40. He came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. I found out in our prayer Bible study that that's not the only time he said that. Mark 14, 38, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Luke twenty two forty, 40, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Luke twenty two forty six, 46, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He said it four different times in the gospels, pray. And here he's telling us in the Lord's prayer to pray that you not enter into temptation. You know, when Jesus came up out of the water in his baptisms, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We don't actually need that leading because most of us find our own way into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <laughs> and how much of that could we avoid in our lives if we would just pray? We could avoid a lot of things. But not only could we receive a lot of things, we could avoid a lot of things if we would but pray. And then finally, verse 14, 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, talking about a lifestyle, forgiven people forgive people, right? And people who forgive people walk in forgiveness before the Father. You pray with your life. The call is for us to give ourselves, our life. You know, we talk about um, a life of prayer, right? And you know, at face value, you say, boy, that person, they have a life of prayer. We think it means they pray a lot. You know what I mean? They spend a lot of time in prayer. But what I'm saying is I want to call us to not a life of prayer and that we just pray a lot. That's good. But I want to call us to a life that is a prayer. A life of prayer. Do you understand? So we pray with our words and we pray with our life. I really believe the Lord's prayer is a prayer that we pray with our words, but we also pray with our life our actions, the principles taught in the Lord's Prayer change how we live our lives. So the call is to pray, become people who have a life, live a life of prayer. Amen? And in closing, I want to read this to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have called us to a life of prayer, a life of constant communion with you, one where we abide in you and the life of the spirit and the life of God flows in and through us and that we are hidden in you. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, bring this to our remembrance throughout the week as we commit to be people of prayer people with a life of prayer so that we remember as we go out throughout our lives and the things that we do, we are praying. How we interact with our family, how we interact with others, outsiders and, and people in the body, everything we do is a prayer offered up to God. Let our lives be a pleasing, acceptable sacrifice like the evening prayer, Lord, offered up to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.